Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 5.50 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 20th of May, 2021. This is episode 422 of Bitcoin. And, well, you know, just when you thought it wasn't going to get any worse, it got worse. I mean, I don't know. You know, that's sort of the the way that the world works, right? So we're going to get into the continuation of Bitcoin's crash yesterday and, of course, the subsequent rise back up. I mean, honestly, what happened is you rode a 10,000 candle down one way and you rode a $10,000 candle up the other way. It was, I don't know if that, I, I wonder if that's unprecedented. It's, it's certainly unprecedented in terms of dollars. Is it unprecedented in terms of uh, percentage, though, is, is the question. And I don't know the answer to that, but... Lots of people got hurt yesterday, and I got put in Twitter jail by Doge Princess. Yeah, that's that's right. Uh, apparently, uh, I'm gonna have to really, <clears throat> I'm gonna have to tone it back, uh, replying to shitcoiners because they are really salty. How could they not be? I mean, when when like, let's see, Bitcoin was at ten percent down yesterday. Like when we're talking, it's like the lowest, uh, not the at the lowest point, <clears throat> but on its way back up, it started gaining back. And I was remembering, I, I tweeted out a picture of the, of my uh, watch list in trading view <clears throat> and Bitcoin was down 10%. Everything else was down 20, 25%. Something, something, some of these things got hurt by, you know, 30%. Uh, and I do believe Doge went all the way down and hit 27 cents, which is probably where uh, I made my mistake with Doge Princess. That's at Doge Princess underscore if you want to go leave her the love tap. Uh, God. So she replied to one of my tweets. Uh, it was a uh, it was a tweet. I basically put like Samuel L. Jackson pointing a gun at somebody and it was like, call me lucky one more goddamn time. You know, in response to the fact that, you know, when people say, oh, you just got lucky. Yeah, you were you around, you know, yesterday? Did you see that shit? What would you have done? Would you have felt lucky? What, you know, would, would you have held on? You know, probably not. And these people calling us lucky, they don't understand days like yesterday. And they never will unless they get in and then, you know... 80% of the time they'll get weak hands and bail. So she writes back something. I can't even remember which, cause I had to fucking delete the whole thread. Otherwise Twitter was going to kick bump me for good. <clears throat> she replied to something and, or to that particular tweet. And I replied back with the meme of the, of the dude that's like, you know, turns around and shoots the dude sitting in the chair by, you know, behind him. Well, she said that I threatened to kill her. 
and told that to Twitter. And they, I mean, and we're talking within, I think, I think that thing had, I got thrown in jail within two minutes of tweeting that back because she said that I was threatening to kill her. That's, that's how salty the shit coiners are. So if I were you, if I were, if you were, a, if you're a Bitcoiner, I would at least think twice about responding in any way, shape, form, or fashion to these shit coiners uh, because they, they will, I, I, like, I, as I demonstrated, I'll get, I got thrown in jail for simply posting a picture. That was it. That's what I got. I got a 12 hour suspension for that shit, for posting a picture that I've seen posted to Twitter hundreds of times before. But it was because she said that she told them that I was threatening to kill her. And the reason that I know that she said that was that she, I, I, I tweeted that out with, am I doing this right? You know, the picture of the guy shooting the dude in the, in the chair behind him. And she said, nope, you just threatened my life. And two minutes later, I was, I was done for, for 12 hours. So be careful out there, folks. The shit coiners are not feeling good. They, I mean, they haven't recovered, you know, like they haven't recovered like Bitcoin's recovered. So they're going to be pretty salty, you know? Anyway, so let's get into the news. Let's start with Jack Mallers. Let's see what, what was Jack doing <clears throat> while all this shit was going on? Apparently he was on a plane. And somewhere around, you know, he somewhere around 30,000 feet, he apparently responded to Michael Saylor who tweeted out, he who has a why to live can bear almost any how, which is a quote from Frederick Nietzsche. And he said on Bitcoin, well, Jack Mallers replies and says, Bitcoin is my why. I live for this diamond hands. Uh, I'm, I'm getting kind of tired of, of the WSB memes and, you know, permanently infiltrating Bitcoin, but I, I will, I'll allow it because he posts this picture of a conversation, he's like, you know, having a, a, a direct message conversation uh, with somebody and there's only two lines and the, the, uh, the person that's responding, the person that's talking to Jack says, whoa, yeah, we can fill that order right now. All for you personally? To which Jack replies, yes, I'm going to make this dip my bitch. So when somebody, generally speaking, when you say that you want to buy Bitcoin, and the reply is, whoa, yeah, we can fill that order. That may be a, a rather large buy. I don't know how, I have no idea how big that buy was, but when it's prefaced with, whoa, uh, then it's probably a fairly large order. So apparently, you know, Mallers bought the dip and he did it. He shows a picture of him and his new, his new friend on, on a plane uh, together. So that's, he was doing it from, from 30,000 feet or so. Anyway, so Jack stacked. Uh, <clears throat> Bitcoin takeover uh, radio here uh, has been announced. The, the number two has been announced rather. This is by Vlad Costa. And uh, he, that, he dropped this one today. If you're not listening to Bitcoin takeover radio, you can find it at bitcoin-takeover.com. That's bitcoin-takeover.com. And uh, it's, uh, let's see, we'll just see what he says about episode number two. After a successful launch, it's time to get better. Some of you is, have asked me to add more music in between podcast episodes, and I've done just that. Also, the number of music artists and podcasters has expanded, and this broadcast is 19 hours long. Wow, dude, Vlad is putting it together over there, man. 
So it's a it, it, the Bitcoin takeover radio is sort of like you know a very clearly a very long you know broadcast, and he's he's putting together other people's podcasts and cutting it with music and making it more like a you know like a radio station, which I appreciate. I like radio, man. Uh, I'm, I'm actually a, a really big fan of old radio shows. Uh, don't ask me why, but I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> I've just been listening to old-time radio for, God, as, as long as I was able to, you know, for as long as I've been able to get my hands on the old recordings, which the Internet made very, very easy. All right, let's, <clears throat> let's get into the news. Let's talk about some of the shit that happened here. We're going to start with uh, Adios altcoin season. Every crypto asset in the top 100 sees red. Oh, the flow of blood. Oh man, God, you'd wash your whole body in it. Jose Antonio Lanz has it from Decrypt.co. It's the worst day in the history of the cryptocurrency market in terms of gross price drops. Every coin in the top 100 cryptocurrencies by market cap, even so-called stable coins, began the day in the red. The vast majority of those assets have suffered double-digit percentage losses. According to Nomics, Total crypto market cap now stands at around $1.59 trillion, which is down 27% over the past day. However, global 24-hour cryptocurrency volume is $624.13 billion, which is up 57%. And Bitcoin's dominance is at 41%, representing a 16.81% drop in the last 24 hours. All right, guys, when, when when I'm reading stuff from Decrypt, it's literally just so you know what's going on. Decrypt, as well as like Coindesk, have become a lot of, there's a lot of anti-Bitcoin sentiment going on. This Bitcoin dominance shit, you just need to forget about that. All right, it doesn't exist. There's no such thing as Bitcoin dominance. There's the only Bitcoin exists. All the rest of this crap is exactly that. It's just garbage. There's, there's no dominance here. Please get that through your head. So when people talk about Bitcoin dominance factors or dominance percentage, just point at them and laugh and go on about your damn day. Bitcoin recorded its most significant dead, uh, dead red daily candle ever going from 42,800 to a low of exactly $30,000. Exactly $30,000. We're going to I'm emphasizing that because we're going to come up on something here pretty quick that you're going to want to uh, listen to here. <clears throat> From there, it bounced to its current price of near 42000 thanks again in part to the Elon Musk effect. No. Bitcoin's price right now is falling as fast as it went up at the start of the year. Today's drop nearly cancels the entire 2021 bull run. The crash represents one of the sharpest percentage corrections in all of Bitcoin's history with a 53% loss from its all-time high and a 16% drop for the day, although it did hit negative 30% between the opening and the minimum of today's session. The crypto markets are, as you'd expect from these numbers, in panic mode. RSI figures, which measure the balance between buyers and sellers in any given market, show that crypto traders are looking to dump their coins as fast as possible right now. And as Bitcoin goes, so do the altcoins. That's right. Why? Because Bitcoin is nothing but dominant. No matter what bag you hold and no matter what promises the developers have told you how it's the next Bitcoin killer, it is not. 
Why? Because as Bitcoin, so goes everything else, people. Ethereum, for example, is registering almost the same bearish behavior as Bitcoin, only more extreme. During the day, ETH went from uh, went on to post a 43% loss between its opening of 33 or $3,376 and its minimum of $2,000 at 1 p.m. UTC. It has since recovered to its current price of around $2,900, which is a slide of about 13% in the last 24 hours. Up till now, Ethereum had been on a tear, but today's fall breaks the strong bullish trend that ETH had held since April. Okay, I'm going to pause right there. There was no, there was no tear that ETH was on. ETH is Bitcoin's little bitch and always has been and always will be. ETH can't do jack shit without Bitcoin giving its permission to do so, as with the rest of this crap. If you're holding bags of shit coins, punch out. I did. I got done with it. I finally just like got over my laziness and sold everything. But I did that about an hour before Elon Musk opened his mouth the very first time. And I still don't believe that Elon Musk was, was the, the entirety of what's been going on here. I think it's a confluence of factors, but we'll find out more later. Again, keep your eyes peeled we'll, or ears peeled. We'll, we'll be on that here in a second. <clears throat> XRP posted a sharp 46% drop. However, it has managed to recover above $1. <laughs> and it's just about the same story all the way down the list of crypto asset alternatives to Bitcoin. In fact, there are only a handful of coins within the top 25 by market cap that are still in the green over a seven-day period. The strongest, strongest performer in that regard is Polygon, an Ethereum scaling platform, and we don't need to worry about any more of that shit. So what do I keep alluding to? <clears throat> well, I got this uh, from Crypto Burb. That's actually at crypto underscore B-I-R-B. That BTC dump was well-engineered, I admit. And he's got a screen grab of what appears to be a Reddit thread, or at least actually not Reddit. Maybe the, this actually is, I think this is 4chan. Anyway, so... <laughs> At on the 18th of May, okay, so this was on Tuesday. So today is Thursday. So on Tuesday, and I, I don't know the time scale here because it just says 12.06.50 for the timestamp, but I don't know where this person is. Generally speaking, these platforms, you know, they ask you for, you know, what time zone you're in so that they can coordinate the clock on posts. So I have no idea exactly what time this was posted, but it says, hey guys, insider here. For those that are not busy uh, LARPing and paying attention, there will be another announcement from China soon. <clears throat> Pitcher is a similar, oh, sorry, uh, hold on, never mind. <laughs> Can't tell you guys what firm that I work for, but it's massive and it's working with the PRC. The purpose of today's press release, alongside all the FUD posting, is to get BTC as low as it can get before 7 a.m. UTC. First, there will be a coordinated sell-off to drop the prices below a certain threshold and liquidate one certain stakeholder. Can't outright say who he is, but he bought a lot of the dip that he was partly responsible for. Once liquidated, the plan is to then buy up all of the reserves and essentially leave him bankrupted. 
If you guys want to get rich, <clears throat> grab some coffee and watch for the big dip. Once it happens, things are going to get green really fast. We project $70,000, that's all. And then there's some, there's a few uh, responses to this, but I have no idea who this is. I, just, I Like I said, I picked this up from Crypto Burb and it got circulated quite a bit yesterday. There's a lot of talk about how this shows the market manipulation of Bitcoin. I don't know. And neither do you. And neither does the very first person who posted this. But it's something to be is something to be cautious about because here's the thing. All the people that are going to look at this and say, "Oh, look, that's proof that there's market manipulation." Yeah, really. You mean by coordinating buying and selling? Okay. How are you going to stop that? How are, like, look, this is what I'm getting at. You can say, well, gee, dumbass, of course it means that, it, that you, know, the, the, be, you know, Bitcoin is manipulated. Everything is manipulated, okay? This is not an apologist position here. I'm just telling you the damn truth. Everything is manipulated from, from shiny metal rocks to oil to stocks and equities and all that shit. It's all manipulated, why? Well, to get rich, I suppose. But how is more, is the more important question. Because people talk to each other. And when more and more people talk to each other and more and more people coordinate their actions together, <gasps> guess what happens? They move markets. That's called human action. You, you're not going to... You, I mean, as long as there's been a fucking telephone, or even back to the days of a telegraph, you could coordinate shit from people in various places. And even before electronic communication, you bet your bottom dollar that equity markets still existed. They were there. Shit, they're trading stock before electricity. They're not idiots. How did they do it? They got into groups in a building and they had discussions with each other. And I guarantee you that those discussions included, hey man, we got 40 people here. How the hell can we use this to our advantage? Every market is manipulated. There's not some virgin market out there that's all clean and pure as the driven fucking snow. All right, if humans have their little mitts in it, I guarantee you there is nothing clean and pure as driven snow. In fact, by the time we touch it, it turns into like some kind of, you know, like toxic waste dump. Well, I, you know, I, I should probably be a little bit more tender with humanity than I'm being right now. But my point is, that when Peter Schiff, if he grabs that screenshot, he's going to go, see, it's manipulated. As if this is the only market that's manipulated. And when you tell him, hey, there's more than that that's being manipulated, he'll say, I know, even gold's manipulated. And then when you press him further, he'll have to admit that every single market in the world is manipulated, including lumber is being manipulated. All right, so... When these pieces of thing, when these things come through your Twitter feed or on Facebook or whatever, you really gotta kind of dig deeper underneath them to understand, you know, the the true meaning behind it. Now, I'm not saying that this shit didn't happen. I'm just saying that even if it did, it doesn't matter. Human action is going to necessitate that groups of people coordinate their actions, and they will do it for their own self well-being, okay? They're, and they're not going to care about other groups that don't want you, them to do this. Whoever has the largest group wins, I suppose. 
but let's let's stop with all that and get on back into the news. UtreeXO can speed Bitcoin initial block download by 62%. Bitcoin Magazine's Namcios has this one. BitMEX Research grantee Calvin Kim has announced that the UtreeXO project can successfully finish Bitcoin's initial block download, or IBD, 62% faster than Bitcoin Core. Kim also noted that the speedup is expected to increase even further in the future since many optimizations are yet to be implemented. <clears throat> Quote, in our testing, we were able to complete the IBD around 62% faster compared to Bitcoin's core version 21.0.0 in default mode, provided that the user isn't bandwidth limited, uh, read the announcement. Quote, our out-of-order block validating node also, <clears throat> also allows for the IBD to be done with multiple computers. <clears throat> Sorry offering a unique advantage compared to other block Bitcoin, sorry, Bitcoin node implementations available today, end quote. The IBD is the process of downloading and validating the entire history of blocks in the Bitcoin network. And yeah, it, 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 takes, it takes quite a while, man. We're up to like, I wanna say 380 gigabytes. So that's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a chunk of data. A faster IBD could then reduce the barrier of entry and result in more people running their nodes and joining the Bitcoin network as rule enforcers. The more people who perform the IBD and stop trusting third-party nodes to verify their Bitcoin transac transactions, the more decentralized and robust the Bitcoin network will be. UtreeXO is a dynamic hash-based accumulator optimized for the Bitcoin state. While the transaction history in Bitcoin contains every transaction since its inception in 2009, the current Bitcoin state only deals with who owns what right now. The set of unspent transaction outputs. UtreeXO allows the millions of UTXOs to be represented in under one kilobyte. Holy crap. While there is still plenty of work to be done before being usable by the end user, UtreeXO might be able to provide an alternative way to perform Bitcoin's IBD more rapidly. Some promising features include being able to perform multi-machine IBD with UtreeXO accumulators and faster signature validation aided by the potential activation of Taproot. So if you were wondering what UtreeXO is and does, there you have it, and it seems to be on its way. It's If you didn't catch it, it's being tested, not available yet, will be hopefully soon, TM, but um, it's gonna, it'll be nice if you, if it really does what it says it's gonna do, it'll be much, much easier to set up a node. Mine took two days to come up to speed. I think it was actually possibly three, but you know, for people who wanna just get it done, UtreeXO is gonna be the way. All right, Paul Apoku from Bitcoin Magazine has this one. There's enough Bitcoin for everyone. Yes, this is the divisibility issue. <clears throat> Bitcoin is unique. In that, when the last Bitcoin is mined, around the year 2140, there will be approximately 20,999,999.9769 rounded off to 21 million Bitcoins in circulation. Also, by 2140, there's going to be a lot more people on the planet than there are right now. Well, we expect it. Here's a question to ponder. Are 21 million Bitcoin enough for the entirety of the human race? The Bitcoin protocol can absorb huge, huge amounts of capital through its infra or its uh, transactions across digital borders. It is able to do this through one of its key characteristics, divisibility. 
It is one of the properties of any form of money, commodity, fiat, or cryptocurrency that makes something of use or value into exchangeable money. In order to exchange goods of varying values, money has to be broken down into smaller units so that it can be accounted for. In order to adopt and encourage the practical use and purchase of Bitcoin as an everyday currency alternative, Bitcoin divisibility is crucial. Just like a $1 bill can be broken down into 100 pennies, Bitcoin can also be divided into smaller units. As the value of one Bitcoin has increased, it is reasonable to buy a fraction of the digital currency instead of an entire Bitcoin all at once. Bitcoin is divided into units as small as 0.000, you know, you get it. There's like eight zeros, okay? So let's just be done with it. Which makes Bitcoin perfect for micropayments. The divisibility of Bitcoin comes from the currency's maximum supply and other factors such as the block reward. The smallest fraction of a Bitcoin, one Satoshi, was named to honor its mysterious creator, Satoshi Nakamoto. A single Bitcoin is made up of 100 100 million units called Satoshis. Bitcoin's divisibility could be a factor that contributes to its adoption because it will facilitate a wide range of payments that will not be possible with traditional currencies and payment methods. Online monetization and international remittance services can benefit from this particular feature. Successful currencies are divisible into smaller units. In order for a single currency system to function as a medium of exchange across all types of goods and values within an economy, it must have the flexibility associated with this divisibility. A further breakdown, 21 million Bitcoin is vastly smaller than the circulation of most currencies in the world. Fortunately, Bitcoin is divisible by up to eight decimal points. This allows for quadrillions of individual units of Satoshis to be distributed throughout the global economy. And this is why Bitcoin has a much larger degree of divisibility than the United States dollar, as well as other fiat currencies. For example, whilst the US dollar can be divided into one one hundredth of one USD, one Satoshi is one one hundred millionth of one BTC. It is this extreme divisibility which makes Bitcoin scarcity possible. If Bitcoin continues to gain in price over time, users with tiny fractions of a single Bitcoin can take part in everyday transactions. In contrast, without any divisibility, a price of $1 million for one BTC would prevent the currency being used for most transactions. Traditional cross-border payment solutions usually require a minimum amount and generate a fee, making micropayments unfeasible. However, micro cross-border payments are possible with Bitcoin and more use cases will continue to appear as it evolves. There are, there are over 2 trillion galaxies with over 100 billion stars in each. Such large numbers exist in the physical world but are difficult to understand. If my math is correct, 21 million Bitcoin can be broken down into over 2 quadrillion Satoshis, which is an insane number that I find difficult to even wrap my head around. You may be put off by the current price of Bitcoin. A friendly reminder that you don't need to buy a whole coin to join uh, in on the future. There is enough room to split Bitcoin to get it into the hands of those who really need it the most. So have a great day and keep stacking sats. All right, so unless you're actually talking to a really crappy winemaker about the divisibilities of pizza and world hunger, this should make sense to you. It doesn't seem to make sense to people like Francis Coppola, who I just uh, basically named. The, 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 the notion that you can divide 
you can feed every like you know a hundred people at a party by dividing the same size pizza into a hundred slices doesn't make any sense because the mass represented in each one of those pizza slices is limited and a one hundredth slice of a large pepperoni pizza is not going to do dick right and that never changes whether the price of the pizza is one dollar a piece or a hundred bucks a piece it doesn't matter its divisibility is not a facet of its ability to feed a 150 pound adult or 170 pound adult depending on how big you are i'm just saying this is a feature not a bug and i'm talking about divisibilities all right so now we come to rare toshi blockstream's rare toshi hosts nfts yep on the liquid bitcoin sidechain uh bitcoin magazine is getting this from namcios again rare toshi a new non-fungible token and physical art marketplace built on the liquid sidechain has been announced by blockstream according to a press release sent to bitcoin magazine quote Rare Toshi provides all the tools necessary for Bitcoin artists to list their digital or physical art projects for auction or instant purchases. Art in the form of images or even videos in MP4 format can be uploaded to Rare Toshi and a corresponding NFT will be minted seamlessly using Liquid's native asset issuance feature, end quote. An NF, well, we know what an NFT. Rare Toshi brings NFTs to Bitcoin by leveraging the Bitcoin sidechain Liquid Network which allows for lower fee artwork minting and gives the artist the option to receive royalties for the resale of their art. Potential buyers can bid on an auction or instantly purchase the art with liquid Bitcoin or LBTC or other liquid-based stablecoins like USDT and LCAD, according to the release. Transactions on Rare Toshi take advantage of Liquid's atomic swap features, the exchange of liquid assets and NFTs in completed in or completed in the same on-chain transaction, minimizing trust on either side of the trade. A sidechain is an independent uh, blockchain that runs parallel to another blockchain, allowing for tokens from that blockchain to be used securely in the sidechain while abiding by a different set of rules, performance requirements, and security mechanisms. Liquid is a sidechain of Bitcoin that allows Bitcoin to flow between the Liquid and Bitcoin networks with a two-way peg. Bitcoin being used in the liquid network is referred to as LBTC and its verifiably equivalent amount of BTC is managed and secured by the network's members called functionaries. The use of functionaries can be interpreted as requiring trust in third parties. And let's pause right there. The liquid sidechain has trusted third parties. And what do we say about that? Trusted third parties are security holes. However, you're going to have to come to issue with the fact that you and other people are going to have choices that you can make, but you are not forced to make. If you choose to go into liquid and you understand the, that it's a trusted third party and that trusted third parties are security holes, that's a decision that you can make for yourself. All right. It's not, we're not, it's when you're forced to do it that sucks right? If you've got a choice to do it, there's no reason to badmouth liquid. There isn't. If you don't want to use liquid, you don't have to, all right? So for all the liquid haters out there, there was that one. Anyway, <clears throat> besides allowing the issuance of assets, liquid also provides confidential transactions and more rapid transfer of funds. But because 
only a predetermined subset of members can help secure the Liquid Network, the federated sidechain is very much different from Bitcoin and its main software client, Bitcoin Core. With Bitcoin Core, any node is allowed and welcome to help secure the network by becoming a mining node. Liquid's federated model, on the other hand, prevents the broader public from actively contributing to the network security. Moreover, Liquid brings three features at the cost, <clears throat> sorry, brings three features at the cost of trusting that the majority of the Federation remains honest, something that makes it vulnerable to censorship and goes against some principles of Bitcoin. So again, that's the choice. You're not forced to use Liquid Network unless you, you know, if you want to do NFTs and you just hate Liquid Network, by all means, go over and hang out with $800 gas fees on Ethereum, all right? So just again, when you hear people bad-mouthing Liquid and bad-mouthing the people that think that Liquid is, is you know, just fine and okay, like I do, <clears throat> understand you're not being forced to do it. And tell those people the same thing. Hey, nobody's forcing you to use Liquid. If they were, if somehow Liquid was around and, and you were forced to use it because of what something like a, an upgrade to uh, Bitcoin did, I'm not running that software and nobody else will either. And everybody at Blockstream knows that. So they're not going to force you to use Liquid. Okay, it's, it, it's, it's gonna be okay. Hey, let's run numbers. All right, flammable liquid futures market taking a bath yet again today. I think yesterday at the end of the day of trading, uh, West Texas Intermediate was down like two and a half or three bucks. Well, futures has it going down another dollar and 36 cents. $62.50 buy you a barrel of West Texas Intermediate. Brent North Sea crude is going for $65.62, which is representing a 1.56% loss. Natural gas is the only thing swinging to the upside by 0.27%. $2.97 gets you 1,000 cubic feet of that. All the shiny metal rocks are down except for platinum. Gold is down half a point. Silver is down over half a point. Platinum is up 0.27. Copper is down 0.1 and palladium is down 0.2. And for those who want to know, an ounce of gold cost uh, $1,871 at this time. All of the ag futures are up. Uh, coffee is up by 1.42%. Most other things are kind of meh, but they're, they are still all up. <clears throat> Let's see here. Indices futures, oh, yep, market's going to be down, down again today. Dow futures down 0.4. S&P futures down 0.3. NASDAQ down 0.24. S&P. S&P mini is down a half, like a full half a point. All of the bond prices increased. The 30-year future bond price increased 0.14%, 10-year 0.09, 5-year 0.06. So there you go. Let's talk about Bitcoin. $40,000, sorry, $40,168. Two hundred and forty-three thousand transactions were performed in the last twenty-four hours. That's ten thousand one hundred and forty-five uh, transactions on average every hour. Here we go. Finally, one point three four million BTC have been sent around the horn in the last twenty-four hours. That's fifty-six thousand BTC every hour on the hour. 
with an average transaction value of 5.52 BTC and a median transaction value of woo, 0.046 BTC or $1,829. Block times are still high, 12 minutes and six seconds. 1.14 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis, 134.5 BTC taken overall in the last 24 hours in fees. With an 8.68% bump in hash rate, we get back to 146 exahashes per second. And Doge Princess, your shitcoin indicator for this morning is a Dogecoin, which is down at 38.7 United States pennies, which is still entirely too high. Dogecoin should be trading, as it always has, at under one U.S. cent. People aped into this shit and they're not going to come out and uh, they're just going to get bled dry over the next year. Probably we'll probably see like over penny prices on Dogecoin for the rest of the year. At least that's my prediction. And it should not be that way. It should be a sub penny. And honestly, going back to the whole getting thrown in Twitter jail by a Dogecoin LARPer, uh, I got to say this. You motherfuckers have made Dogecoin unfun. You know, it used to be, Dogecoin used to be fun. You, you could hold like, hey, 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 I got a bag of Doge. And it was, it was kind of fun. It was, the, it was the least shitty of the shit coins. Although it has always pretty much, you know, in price has always pretty much represented what was going on in the shit coin market. But at least it was, you know, it was cute. It was tongue in cheek. It was fun. And you guys have absolutely destroyed that. You've, you've made something that was almost damn near adorable, just unfun and just as toxic as anything else out there. Okay. So congratulations, congratulations on that for turning Doge into something that thank God I don't have anymore. You hopefully she bought all my shit at 45 cents, took a loan out on her paid off house and will now lose it. I'm serious. I don't give a shit anymore about these people. Let's move on. Clark Moody has it where he's showing 60,000 transactions and they're waiting on 77 blocks to clear. We are back down to $745.8 billion of market capitalization, which is sadly only 6.14% of gold's entire market cap. Yet we can buy a little more gold today. We can get 21.3 ounces of gold with one Bitcoin, of which there are 18,714,323 in circulation at a price of 39,865, according to Clark Moody. I don't know where he pulls his price from. There is 1,333.5 BTC in the Lightning Network, which is value has dropped to $53.2 million, still running across 11,344 nodes though, with 45,945 channels. 60.6% of the Lightning Network is run over Tor, so we've lost a tenth of a percent. The capacity on the Tor side of the Lightning Network is 808.5 Bitcoin being run over 5,635 nodes. Taproot's starting to look really green. I mean, I'm starting, like, I've got almost an entire row here that has nothing but green blocks. And in fact, we're, I'm showing a current total of 85.16% of all the mining share is signaling for Taproot. Uh, we've got 
let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. And earlier this morning when I was setting up the show, there was actually 15 miners signaling. One has dropped off. It seems that a lot of this has to do with the fact that not all miners have all of their nodes in compliance and they're, they're, you know, from what we understand, they're working to get that shit done, but haven't got it all done yet. So every once in a while, a miner that says that they're signaling actually doesn't signal on a block. And then they, I guess they get booted from this list. So right now we're right at 85% uh, signaling for Taproot. This is good. I hope to see Taproot uh, go fully green in the next mining period or epoch. We're not going to get it in this difficulty epoch. So there you go. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news you can use. We're going to start this one with, well, actually the, the entirety of the rest of this show is going to be about some scammy shit. Uh, so let's, let's go ahead and start with Jeff Benson's piece from decrypt.co. Crypto watchdog group has exit scammed and it's for your own good. It claims. Yeah, this is going to be a good one, guys. Let's buckle up. Talk about a long con. Anti-scam watchdog War on Rugs, a self-described collective of smart contract auditors and blockchain devs, presented itself as a resource for checking a DeFi project's credentials, warning of projects it viewed as vulnerable. That recently, it, it included the whole Shiba Inu, which is a meme coin that surged past $5 billion in market cap. As a result, War on Rugs accumulated nearly 100,000 followers on Twitter and an equal number of detractors angry that, that War on Rugs targeted tokens they held stock in. Oh, oh, no. Stop. No, stop calling it stocks. Not without reason. Many, if not most, of War on Rugs scam advisories have so far failed to materialize, while at least one is it recommended lost all of its value. Now the aspiring hero has turned apparent villain, allegedly making off with more than $2 million worth of crypto in a series of suspected rug pulls. Just last week, the group launched its rug Ethereum token, an ironic response to Ethereum founder Vitalik Buterin's decision to liquidate the holdings of altcoin Shiba Inu sent to him by SHIB's creators. The rug Ethereum, or Reth project, levied a 4% tax on each transaction, 2% went to the hodlers, and the remaining amount was used to borrow ETH that would then be dumped for Binance coin. Reth gathered over 9,000 holders in under a week, either for ideological reasons or the chance to get in early on a project that isn't directly listed in the exchanges. Reth came after uh, War on Rugs audit a fair moon a clone of SafeMoon, a token that discourages selling by taxing transactions and redistributing tokens to hodlers. War on Rugs was no lover of SafeMoon, trashing the project. It wrote a FairMoon, however, no back doors or denial of service possible from the owner perspective. It did more than audit FairMoon, however. War on Rugs and its head, known as Shappy, became the de facto leaders of the group and took over access to the smart contract and FairMoon and War on Rugs claimed to be working on a platform for launching decentralized crypto exchanges. Last night, both got Reth and Fair got rug pulled. 
Oh man, they typo here. It should read last night both Reth and Fair got rug pulled. Uh, and here's a uh, a tweet from Fair Moon. Shappy, ex-leader of WOR, has betrayed Fair Moon and Reth and scammed both the Fair Moon and War on Rugs communities. We have worked so hard to make a difference and cultivate a strong community, and he betrayed us. We are deeply sorry for the losses we are all experiencing right now, and this entire thing is written all caps, just so you get a visual on that. The Reth and Fair Smart contracts have been reset so that the taxable amounts go to 100%, making it worthless to sell. But Shappy could, transferring the Fair Moon out on Pancake Swap. We'll get to Pancake here in a minute. <laughs> a Binance Smart Chain based decentralized exchange on which anyone can list a token in exchange for 1,170 BNB, which is worth about half a million dollars after today's market correction. Fairmoon has lost nearly 100% of its value since yesterday. Trading on activity for Reth, always valued at fractions of a penny, like many of these coins, is almost non existent. Fairmoon has pled ignorance, posting on Twitter, and then I read you the tweet. It did not respond to decrypt request for comment, but according to War on Rugs rival Safer DeFi, the rug pull has been going on since after the audit of Fairmoon. It alleges that a central wallet was split to disguise the concentration amongst the hodlers. Each of the wallets then dumped $1.8 million in holdings when Fair hit all-time high prices. Between the liquidations and today's disappearance, the group estimates War on Rugs and or Fairmoon took $2.3 million. War on Rugs, meanwhile, has gone AWOL. Quote, I decided to do what I did so you understand that you should stop being a clown and spring into just anything. It wrote before, get this, deleting all of its social media profiles, including medium posts. Quote, hopefully after this, you don't trust anyone anymore pending proper regulations. So I was actually kind of a fan of War on Rugs. Um, and honestly, I'm still kind of a fan of War on Rugs. Why? He proved exactly the point that to us toxic maximalists have been talking about forever. Don't trust them. Don't believe them. DeFi projects, altcoins, all this is just bullshit. And they're just out to get your money. And the fact that he stole these people's money, well, I'm not losing any sleep over it. Uh, hold on for a sec. I got to look for something. Where, where did where did it go? Okay. Remember we were talking about Pancake? <clears throat> the Pancake Swap? Okay. Well, Pancake Bunny tanks 96% following $200 million flash loan export or exploit. Samuel Haig has it from Cointelegraph. Popular Binance smart chain based decentralized financial protocol Pancake Bunny has suffered a major exploit that allowed a hacker to make off with more than $200 million worth of crypto assets. According to a series of threads posted by Pancake Bunny team in the past hour, the protocol was subject to a flash loan attack from an external factor. The attacker borrowed a quote, huge amount of Binance coin before manipulating the assets price and dumping it on the platform's bunny slash BNB market. Uh, so here's the steps that it took. The hacker used PancakeSwap to borrow a huge amount of BNB. The hacker then went on to manipulate the price of USDT and the bunny slash BNB pairs. The hacker ended up getting a huge amount of bunny through the flash loan, 
Then the hacker dumped all of the money on the market, causing the bunny price to plummet. The hacker paid back the BNB through PancakeSwap. And then they've got the uh, uh, BSCscan.com uh, of, of all that, of what just happened. Anyway, the attack saw the price of bunny quickly pump from $150 to $240 bucks before plummeting to zero. Zero over just 30 minutes. So in half an hour, it goes from 150 to 240 into zero. Wow. After consolidating below $10 for roughly two hours, Bunny last changed hands for $8.80. Bunny was the only pool to be drained by the hacker with the malicious actor making off with 697,000 Bunny and 114,000 BNB with Binance coin trading for roughly $296 each. At the time of writing, the hacker is believed to have made off with $200 million in assets. The attacker also attached a private note containing a rabbit-themed pun to all the transactions that drain the pool that reads, aren't flash loans irritating? And ear is spelled E-A-R. Get it? Like bunny ears, okay, fine, whatever. At least he's got some humor. All funds borrowed to execute the attack were returned via pancake swap. As the attack wreaked havoc across one of Binance Smart Chain's leading projects, with Bunny representing a total locked value of more than one billion dollars prior to the hack, onlookers are discussing whether Binance will move to roll back the incident. <gasps> roll back. That's what we call not being immutable. In May of 2019, Binance lost more than $40 million in a major attack, with Chief Executive CZ suggesting the losses could be reversed by convincing my, uh, convening with miners to roll back transactions from the Bitcoin blockchain. Yeah, right. Pancake Bunny is the latest DeFi protocol to suffer a flash loan attack, with the ex exploit increasingly manifesting as a scourge on the decentralized finance sector. In April, crypto data aggregator Masari reported that flash loans had become the most popular attack vector in the DeFi ecosystem, accounting for roughly half of the $285 million worth of DeFi exploits identified in 2019. All right. So, guys, seriously, when are you going to learn? Or when are you, y'all probably know, but when are the rest of the people going to learn? This is like playing Russian roulette. Now, I hear tell that DeFi platform Sovereign is going to bring DeFi to Bitcoin, and I don't know anything about it. But here's my point. DeFi as a structure seems to have a fatal flaw when it comes to the flash loan attack, because that's how they all occur. If they're, I mean, that's a, a glaring vulnerability. If you're going to ape into something with a glaring vulnerability, then people like War on Rugs and whoever did this to Pancake Swap, they're going to rug your ass, dude. It's as simple as that. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when and how bad is it going to be when it does finally happen. Just because it hasn't happened yet and you're holding on to like, I don't know, $4 million worth of $100, you know, token coin on some kind of DeFi platform, let's call it Sushi Swap or something. At one point or another, they're going to flash loan your ass too. And it's all going to be worthless or it's all going to be gone. Pick one because you can't have both. All right. Now, Ethereum fees get running from one scam to another. Ethereum fees skyrocketed as traders raced to unwind their leveraged positions. Samuel Haig is also writing this for Cointelegraph.
Ethereum fees surged to a record highs amid the recent crypto downturn with users pay, paying more than 2,000 GUI to execute transit, transactions at its peak. Digital asset research firm Delphi Digital noted gas prices oscillated between 1,500 and 1,700 GUI for approximately one hour as DeFi liquidations drove gas wars amongst liquidators and arbitragers. In the May 19th Daily GUI newsletter, Ethereum developer Anthony Sassano speculated the fee frenzy was likely triggered by on-chain margin traders racing to exit their leveraged positions. Quote, the price was falling so fast that people were getting scared of their on-chain leveraged positions and were willing to pay anything to get their transactions included on the next Ethereum block, presumably to close their positions. End quote. Chris Wheaton of Melbourne-based brokerage Pepperstone also emphasized the role of leverage in the crash, estimating that cascading margin calls drove $9.13 billion worth of liquidations across crypto exchanges within 24 hours. Alameda's research Sam Trabuco also noted high leverage in the Ethereum markets, criticizing the narrative that Ethereum's rally was largely fueled by institutional spot buying. Quote, I saw a ton of speculation that the rallies, especially the ETH rallies, were low leverage and spot driven and therefore more organic somehow. This narrative was super wrong, bro. Crypto luminaries were not exempt from the gas crisis with CoinShare CSO Meltem Demirs tweeting about her poor stuck transactions in spite of paying more than $1,000 in gas fees. I have never understood why Meltem Demirs got into all this shit. She used to be a really solid Bitcoiner back in the day and somehow or another she got sucked into Ethereum and now she's not doing well about it. She, her tweet has this, the market punching me in the face and reminding me once again that blockchain compute is a finite resource. And she's got a picture of estimated processing times. So she's going to pay 496 bucks for a slow transaction, $765 for an average speed transaction. And if she wants it really, really fast, she's going to have to cough up $918. I'm sorry, Meltem, for your loss here, but this is why I Bitcoin. However, some analytics were able to find a silver lining amid the skyrocketing fees. Oh, you're going to love this part. With Paradigm's Hasu estimating that Ethereum stakers would have captured tens to hundreds of millions of dollars in fee revenue if EIP-1559 and proof of stake had been live during the crash. Okay, that's to me, that's not a silver lining. That shows you exactly why they're going to move to proof of stake. If you think gas fees are going to go down, if they ever are functionally able to move to proof of stake, you're fooling yourself. The, what they're, I think 1559 and proof of stake has always been about one thing. They want to centralize everything, and that means they're greedy. They want the fees. They don't want Ethereum miners taking those fees when they could easily get those fees and in the same sentence, the same very breath, say they're doing it for the environment. That's how bad Vitalik Buterin and his crew of fucking miscreants really are. They're not doing it for the environment. They're doing it because they want the fees and they're going to take those fees. I guarantee it. Anyway. Anyway, let's move on to the next one. Oh man, Peter McCormick is is going to get catch a lot of shit for this one. 
mil millions of dollars in Bitcoin incorrectly credited to BlockFi customers. And as you know, if you listen to Peter McCormick's show, BlockFi has been one of his oldest, um, oldest uh, uh, sponsors. And this shit doesn't look good like at all. And I haven't been very much of a fan of BlockFi, but only because of the product that they offer, not because of anything shady that they did after. I, I think the whole Bitcoin for loans and shit is, I don't know. I think Unchained is doing it well, uh, but BlockFi, I don't know, man. There's some, and especially after this shit, uh, it just doesn't look good. Andrew is Asmakov has it from Decrypt.co. Uh, crypto lending platform BlockFi has confirmed in a statement posted to Reddit that it mistakenly deposited large amounts of Bitcoin to user accounts. The firm said that the blunder is likely related to an ongoing promotional campaign that started back in March. It offers eligible participants a bonus payment delivered in one lump sum in GUSD, a one-to-one dollar-backed stablecoin built by cryptocurrency exchange Gemini. Instead, some users were paid the amounts in Bitcoin with one poster on Reddit claiming that they had been credited with over 700 BTC or more than $25 million at current prices. In a post on Reddit, BlockFi explained, quote, on May the 17th, 2021, fewer than 100 clients were incorrectly credited with cryptocurrency associated with a promotional buy payout that did not belong to them, end quote. BlockFi said the company has contacted the users who were credited with excessive amounts in Bitcoin and is now, quote, working with them to rectify the issue. The firm insists that client funds were not impacted and are safeguarded. Ooh, funds are SAFU. The screw-up does not affect any BlockFi's ongoing operations and measures have been taken to ensure that an error like this will not be possible in the future. Well, that's complete bullshit. It's always possible. It's just how, how do you make it improbable is the question. Anyway, that was from the statement. The situation, however, seems to be more complicated than just May the 17th, with users reporting instances of incorrect crediting on earlier occasions as well. On May the 15th, BlockFi tweeted that there was an issue with inaccurate bonus displayed on accounts of some users who participated in the promotional campaign. Some BlockFi customers have claimed that the company has threatened legal action if they don't return the money. One affected client took to Reddit to claim that BlockFi made those BTC and GUSD deposits to people's accounts when they should not have. They reversed the BTC deposit and not the GUSD in mine as of yet. I didn't touch those anyway. The user claimed that two days after the platform's accidental crediting of his account, he withdrew USDC, which he had deposited a month earlier on a completely unrelated occasion. Now they send me an email accusing me of withdrawing funds that aren't mine saying it's fraud and a crime they will act on if not returned in the next two hours, he fumed on Reddit. There are also reports that BlockFi is offering a reward for the return of funds with bounties ranging from $500 to $1,000. Oh, it's my good friend Psychedelic El Barto got into the news with this tweet. He uh, tweets out BlockFi fucked up by paying promo rewards with BTC instead of stable coins. And now they're threatening users. And he's got a couple of screenshots, with it, which I will not read. Continuing with the article, established in 2017 and headquartered in New York, BlockFi raised $350 million in a Series D funding round earlier this year. It was the firm's largest round to date and reportedly valued the company at $3 billion. So again, BlockFi, dudes, not looking good, pal. Not looking good at all. 
All right. There's some other stuff here that I do want to remind you. I'm not going to read these articles, but Wells Fargo released a statement right as we were going into the well of yesterday's dump yesterday morning, right? They released this, this release that says wealthy clients of Wells Fargo will now soon be able to buy Bitcoin. So their accredited investors at Wells Fargo are going to be able to buy Bitcoin and they released the news when? Right when we were dumping down. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm telling you, man, it may not be too far from the truth of that 4chan post that I read earlier about a coordinated dump to liquidate some individual and coming right back up. I don't know, man. But like I said, Bitcoin is for enemies and so is market manipulation. You're not going to start stop market manipulation. Every market is manipulated, including the one that you love. Okay, so just don't go to bed thinking that everybody is all pure as the driven snow. Nobody is. All right. Um, if you want to help me out with the show here, and I could use some help, everybody does. Um, you know, get, if you could get my show a five-star rating on Apple iTunes and share it with your friends and family, and just tell them, hey, man, if you want to listen to what's going on news-wise, you, you know, in the mornings uh, on your, you know, morning commute or whatever, you know, listen to the Bitcoin and podcast, that would be great. I, I could, I always love having new listeners come on board and I, I want to grow the show and I need your help to do it because I don't have a marketing department, you know, I, I'm like, I'm, I'm just a guy. I'm all by myself, man. And I need as much help as I can get. So, you know, like, share, subscribe, five-star reviews. Also, man, if you want to really support the show, listen to it on the Breeze Wallet. Go get yourself a Breeze Wallet. And it's a light, it's a, a lightning. It's, I think it's, I can't remember if it's, I think it can be either custodial and non-custodial depending on how you use it but you can stream me sats. Why? Because they have a podcasting thing right inside the wallet. You don't have to, it's not a separate app. It's inside the wallet. There's a little, you'll see an icon of a microphone. If you hit it and look for Bitcoin and podcast, you'll find it and you can listen to me and stream me sats, which come directly to my lightning node, by the way, because that's the way that I set it up. Um, I'll get those sats directly and you won't go through any middlemen and you can stream me as little as like three sats per minute and listen to the show. And I would love to do that because it is nothing but fun when I, you know, tag or look at my, uh, my lightning node through Thunderhub or ride the lightning. And I see transactions coming in real time, man, there's like, there are no other feelings that are even remotely like that anyway. So that's the way you can help me out. And I would appreciate the help. And I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.